You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. We're, we're continuing in our sermon series. We're talking about pursuing God, but in doing so, we must get past the past. We've talked about getting past our failures. We talked about getting past the labels that hold us back. We, we talked about getting past the hurt that others have caused us and unforgiveness that holds us and bitterness that holds us back. Today, I want to talk about something that we rarely talk about in church, and that is, that is getting past the hurt that we have caused others. Now, I know that doesn't apply to you, but for your friends, you can pass this on, okay? But, um, you know, we've all been hurt by someone, right? We've all been lied to. We've all been disappointed by somebody. Uh, we, we all have had somebody maybe betray us, hurt us, talk behind our back, gossip about us, whatever. And everybody that's, had, that's ever been hurt by somebody, I want to see your hands. Today's going to be a participatory message, show of hands, all right. Well, it's funny how we all have had that happen to us, but I want to ask, how many of us have ever done that to anybody else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We hold our hands up lower when we do that. Did you notice that? Yeah, I have to admit, I've hurt people. I have said things that have, uh, have been mean, and I have put that knife in and twisted it. I have done those things myself. And the, the fact of the matter is, we're, we're quick, however, to notice the hurt that others cause us. We're far slower at realizing the hurt and pain that we have caused. And, you know, we're, we'll call out the person that did that to us. You know, two guys are driving down the highway. And let's just imagine something for a second. One guy's driving down the highway. He's on his cell phone. And uh, he's, he's talking to a family member. Her mother's in the hospital. And he's very, you know, kind of concerned. So he's not paying attention. He's driving probably a good five, six, seven, eight miles below the speed limit. Another guy is coming up behind him. He's running late for a meeting, right? You see it coming, right? He's in a hurry to get where he needs to go. He sees the guy in front of him talking on a phone and distracting, driving slowly. He needs to get where he needs to go. So he pulls up behind the guy, and he's tailgating him, flashes his lights. The guy's distraught on the phone. He sees that guy behind him. He hits his brakes, and boom, they hit. Whose fault is it? Who's going to blame? Who's going to take the blame for that accident? I guarantee you neither one of those guys will say it's my fault. They're both going to say, why did you do that to me? It's all your fault. And, and that's, that's just a stupid example of how that happens. Hurting people hurt people, and all of us have hurt other people. And so the big question for today is, what do you do when you have hurt someone? So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're taking a look at... Uh, verses 21 to 24 here, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' uh, uh, great sermon about elevating our, 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 ourselves, uh, our standards, getting you know, beneath the outward actions to the motivations of the heart. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he's cutting through all the legalistic rules that the people are following. And he's trying to get to the root issues of what causes the problems in us. And so uh, uh, here, beginning of verse 21, he says, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And then skipping on down to verse, he goes on and he says, Therefore... If you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there 
in front of the and, and leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. All right. Let me just pray real quickly, Lord. As we pause out of our busy lives and schedules this morning to look into your word, help us to have ears to hear what you want to say to us, specific things to each of us that apply only to us, so that we may be able to do what we need to do to make things right. God, not only just ears to hear, but a heart to receive and understand, so that we might do what we can, that relationships today might be fixed, that families might be stronger, that workplaces might be healthier, that friendships might be better. God, I pray for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's Jesus saying here? Pretty simple. He says, before you come and do your church thing, before you come and you know sing and praise God, before you come and volunteer in a small group, before you come and... And, and lead in worship or preach or teach or just get around other Christians and put on a happy face. Before you come and get right with God, he says, you need to get right with other people. Before you come and say, God, I need you to get me right, he's saying, the person that you've hurt, you need to go and make that right. You need to make it right with them. Go, he says, and be reconciled. He's saying that, that you'll have a much easier time mending your broken relationship with God if you mend your broken relationships with the people around you first. Go to those people that you've hurt. Do whatever you can to own it and make it right. And that's what we're talking about here this morning. My, I have a theory. I have a theory that... Before church, we have more family arguments than any other time, right? That, that, that the devil just loves to get people angry at one another before they come to church. That, that especially if you have little ones, you know, driving to church, it, it is inevitable. There's, you know, when our kids were little, if we were going to have fights, it was in the car on the way to church. Why is that? Why? Because I think the devil knows what Jesus wants to happen here. He wants to distract us from what God wants to be able to do. So he says, get right, solve those issues, and do what you can. One of the good things about having to get up on a Sunday morning and speak is it makes me make sure that things are right at home before I get up and, and get here and speak on a Sunday morning. That's a pretty good thing. Think about that. Before you come to church, if you had to be right with other people before you were right with God, how many of us would do better at making things right at home or right in our relationships with other people? Earlier on in the Beatitudes, at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount here, one of the Beatitudes he says is, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Let's say that together. Let's read that together. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Now these blessings, these Beatitudes... They, they, they speak to those whom God is going to reward because of the inner character, because of the moral compass that they have. That, that blessed are the poor in spirit, he says. You know, who, who would say that it's happy, it's great to be poor? Blessed are the mourn. Who would want to be mourning? But he talks about those who go through those difficult times, who are humble and, 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 and are right with God, are the ones that are truly blessed. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, that doesn't sound fine. It's kind of contradictory. It's a paradoxical blessing that we have here. But when we find that we're right with God and we're humble before God, in the end, God makes us fully blessed. When we can endure the tough times and be blessed, how much more do we endure the great times? How much more do we enjoy the good times? If we can be right in all circumstances. And he says, peacemakers will be called the children of God. Now, notice one thing. He doesn't say the peacekeepers. Now, I don't know. You know, we can go too far in differentiating that. But I believe there's a difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Right? Uh, I mean, let's think about that. A peacekeeper's are people who want to keep the peace by avoiding confrontation. They are, they are more conflict avoidant. You know, peacekeeping is a good thing. I, I think it's great to avoid conflict. Peacekeeping isn't a bad thing. But it's better to be a peacemaker. Because you see, sometimes peacekeepers, well, we'll just pretend everything is okay. Let's just not acknowledge when we get together for our fin reunions that we don't talk to one another, that we have these big elephants in the room. Let's just ignore that. Let's just pretend that in the workplace that we don't have this strife going on, in our families that we have this ongoing issue that we refuse to resolve. Let's just pretend. Let's just keep the peace. Let's just lose, let others win because I'd rather not have this confrontation I'd rather not argue. Let's keep the peace and put on a happy face. That's peacekeeping in the negative sense. I mean, better to be a peacekeeper than a troublemaker. I'm not saying stir up trouble for the sake of stirring up trouble. That's not nearly what I'm saying. I'm saying, but when there's an issue, you can either just avoid the issue to keep the peace or you can confront it. And that's where peacemaking comes in. Peacemakers confront the issues, the circumstances, in order to make peace. They're They don't love conflict, but they're more comfortable with conflict because it can lead to better understanding. Nobody likes an argument, but when an argument resolves an issue, it's not a bad thing. Would you agree with that? Anybody say, nod your head, yes, say amen, say you're the best pastor, whatever you can do to give me some encouragement today. Sorry, I need a little extra today. Jesus said, go before, go, and before you offer your gift to the altar, apologize. Do whatever it takes, even if you have to work through some difficult things in order to make peace. Peacemakers have a hard time resting until they've addressed the issue, until they can restore the relationship. They don't, they don't, they don't think it's healthy to keep the issue there and let it continue to drive a wedge. Peacemakers understand that conflict doesn't have to be destructive. They, they, they may not like it any more than the peacekeepers do, but they are more willing to confront it than the peacekeepers are. Peacemakers see conflict as a normal part of life. It's a necessary part of, of, of solving problems. So, so the issue is, are you a peacekeeper or are you a peacemaker or are you a troublemaker? Let's pray that anybody here doesn't just stir up trouble for the sake of it. But are you a peacekeeper or are you a peacemaker? Now, I'd like to say that I'm more a peacemaker than a peacekeeper, but I have to admit there's a lot of peacekeeper in me. One of the things that, that, that uh, we, we try to do as an organization is create an atmosphere of constructive conflict. That sounds um, 
paradoxical. You know, it sounds uh, that, that those two can't go together. But allowing for conflict to exist, a conflict-friendly environment, where in, in any organization, your home, where you're allowed to address issues without fear, that you're allowed to bring up disagreements without judgment, that you're allowed to look at other points of view without fear that the relationship is going to be hurt. And where people, homes, families, organizations, friendships can have that kind of conflict-friendly environment, you'd be amazed at how deep those relationships can go. Because if you can't face those issues, you can't get to deeper levels of trust and understanding. And so when there's an issue, you are able to go and confront that person or confront the issue head on without, without being afraid that it's going to destroy the workplace. So creating that conflict-friendly envi- environment in work or at home or even in a church is so vitally important. I, I, I know people who don't believe that they can be friends with somebody that they disagree with. Right? If you disagree with me, then therefore we don't see eye to eye. Therefore, we can't be friends. And can I, can I say something to you? I don't agree with everything I even say. So, <laughs> you know, sometimes I change my mind with myself. So if I change my mind, how, how often will I have people that I don't agree with from one time and then another time? So we have to learn to disagree agreeably. We need to learn to say, okay, you believe that. That's your perspective. That's your vantage point. That's what you, how you read the scripture. Or that's how you interpret it. I see that differently. I understand that you can see it that way, but please understand that I see it this way. It's not that I disagree, that I don't like you, but what happens is because we disagree, we impose right or wrong on that. We impose good or bad on our, on our decisions, on our beliefs, and then we say that that person is good or bad because they may agree or disagree with me. I want to talk about the friends and enemies of peacemaking. The greatest enemy of peacemaking is pride, right? Show me a relationship with tension that gets unresolved, and I'll show you at least one person, and usually two people, who would say, I'm not going to apologize. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not going to say that I'm sorry. It was not my fault. It was all your fault or mostly your fault. I'm not going to apologize until they apologize. That is pride. There are always two sides to every situation. I oftentimes talk to people that are having difficulties or maybe marital issues. And it is amazing. Every time I talk to somebody that they are always the innocent party. I will talk to every person I talk to. It's always the other person's fault. That person is the reason why this happened. That person is why. It's that person's fault. They don't take ownership. We are always partly at fault. I don't care who you are in any relationship. There are always two sides. And you always, now it might be 60, 40 or 70, 30. It might even be 99 to 1. But you've got to own that 1% that's your fault. In any problem, in any situation. And you might say, well, they have 99%, but I have 1%. And, and making things right is not 
throwing the stones at them for the 90%, but owning your 10% or 1%. We are always partly at fault. Pride says, no, 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 it's not me, it's you, it's all you. I'm the victim, you're at fault. Pride says it's, it's more important that you are right than to make the relationship right. People, people who struggle with pride have a hard time admitting that they might have some fault in the issue. Pride labels personal opinions as either good or bad. As I said, it says that my way of seeing it is good and your way is bad. Therefore, I'm good and you're bad. And pride can't admit mistakes. It's not my fault. Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Can we say that together? When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And so the greatest enemy, the greatest enemy of peacemaking is pride, but the greatest friend of peacemaking is humility. Humility says, I'm wrong. I was wrong. I own my part of this. I'm at fault. You see, the humble person comes to the relationship and they say, you know what, my relationship is is more important than what we agree or disagree about. You're more important than the issue. The problem is we make problems personal. We make issues personal. We attack the person rather than the problem. When there's a disagreement, sometimes it just gets so personal right away, we forget even what we're arguing about because we've stabbed a knife in so many places, we're bleeding all over the place and we're fighting about what we're bleeding about and we forgot what we were ever fighting about. We, we, we take this little fire and we throw fuel on it and, and it just blows up and becomes a forest fire. The humble person says, you know what? This is a problem. This is the problem here. This is your, let's, let's not let this get in the way of us. We have to work through this. So we might disagree and there might be, let's work through that. But, but you and I have to be, agree that we're going to walk out of this and we're still going to be friends. We're still going to be lovers. We're still going to be, you know, uh, church members. We're still going to be in relationship with each other. Because humility elevates the relationship above yourself. Humility loves the person more than it loves being right. Humility gives you the grace to go and say, you know what, I might not have all the answers here, and I'm willing to come and talk to you about that. Do you remember the story of Jacob and Esau? I mean, that's just the classic biblical text of somebody humbling themselves before they make it right with their brother. Jacob was a, was a, was a deceiver. He was a, he was a troublemaker. Jacob stole from his brother. He stole from his father. He took what he had, and he ran away, went to a far country, Grew up, got rich, Esau stayed back home, and then the time came for Jacob to come back to his homeland. He was the receiver of the covenant that God gave, passed down from Abraham to Isaac, then to Jacob. Instead of Esau, though Esau was the older one, it came on Jacob. And so Jacob is coming back, and he knows he's going to meet up with his brother, and he knows that he was wrong, and he knows that his brother has every right to get even with him. And the night before he meets his brother, 
An angel wrestles him all night long. He has that wrestling, a famous wrestling match with the angels. Some people call that a theophany, a Christophany, Jesus appearing somehow and wrestling with him. And in the end, in the morning, he let him go. He let the angel go, but the angel left him crippled. He, he, he tore his hip out of socket, which caused him to walk with a limp from then on. Talk about humbling. This prideful, self-centered person wrestles with God, God touches him, and from then on, his name was changed from heel grabber to, to Israel. And he walked with a limp, <coughs> excuse me, and, and he ended up going to his brother, and if you remember, he, he humbled himself, he gave his, he sent all these gifts ahead of him, he's, you know, maybe in a sense trying to buy his brother off, or maybe he's just trying to demonstrate to his brother how sorry he was for all that he took from him, and he's trying to give it back. He went back to make restitution, he went back to make things right with his brother. And that's, that's what Jesus is talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount. So, before we wrap it up this morning, I want to just talk about how do you make it right with your brother, sister, your friend, your spouse, your children, your parents? How, how do you apologize with integrity? Because there's a right way and a wrong way to apologize, right? Wrong way apologizing. I'm sorry you feel that way, <laughs> right? That's not an apology. I'm sorry your feelings got hurt. Yeah, not quite. I'm sorry you're such a sorry example of a human being. That's not... You know, that, that's not an apology. We think if we put I'm sorry in front of a slam that it isn't a slam any longer, but it is. So if you're taking notes, write these things down. I think this is very important. If you're going to apologize effectively, then here's several things that I want you to remember. Number one, be specific about what you did. Admit to specific actions and attitudes. Because restoration and reconciliation can't happen without acknowledging the hurt that you caused. I'm sorry I yelled at you. I raised my voice. That was wrong. I hurt you. I'm sorry that I talked behind your back. I know that that hurt you. That was wrong. I, I should not have done that. I'm sorry that I told you I was going to do that and I dropped the ball. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry that you were waiting for me to call and I never called and I ignored your feelings. I'm sorry that I did that. I know that had to have hurt you. And, and when you say it specifically like that, what's happening? The person who's been hurt understands that you understand how much you hurt them. And, and, and being specific about it helps them to say, okay, his, his apology is more, more real if they're specific about that. Admit that you did what you did or you didn't do what you didn't do. There are sins of commission and sins of omission. Sometimes what you need to admit is the fact that I didn't do something. I didn't meet your expectations. I, 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 I told you I would and I didn't. And then, you know, and so I find that I, I, I often offend people not by what I do, but what I don't do. I, I've, I've had people come up to me and tell me, you know, pastor, you just ignored me last week. 
And I'm thinking, I did? I didn't know that. You know, I walked by them and I didn't look at them and say hi, and they took it personally. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. I'm sorry that I hurt you. So, so I mean, that's a silly example, but how many of us do that sometimes? We hurt people unintentionally. Man, I was in the hospital. You didn't come visit me. or Nobody from the church visited me. Uh, you know, we should have. That was wrong. We dropped the ball. I know that had to have hurt. You know, my parent died and you didn't call. Whatever it may be, there's so many examples of that. And, and we do it in our own lives. You know, when you don't do what you're supposed to do, the Bible says that too is sin. That too is sin. I wasn't there. I didn't protect you. You know, parent to a child, you know, that was estranged. I'm sorry I wasn't there when you were growing up. And I'm sorry that I wasn't there to protect you. I'm sorry that I didn't listen to you when you were telling me what you were hurting about. I'm sorry. So be specific. Be specific when you're making your apology. And then the next thing is don't make excuses. Excuses are just cop-outs. And it happens all the time. You do something wrong, you cause a hurt, but the first thing you do is you make excuses. Don't follow the words, I'm sorry, with a but. I'm sorry, but the reason I gossiped about you was that you made me look bad. I'm sorry, but I lied because I knew that you'd be angry if I told you the truth. I'm sorry, but I spent so much money because you're such a cheapskate and you wouldn't let me spend any money. I'm sorry, you know, I wouldn't be looking at that stuff online if you would be there to meet my needs. You know, I'm so, you don't go, I'm sorry, but. You don't, you don't put the blame on somebody else. You need to own it. You need to admit your part. You need to say, I made a mistake. I gave in to temptation. I was wrong. No excuses. Be specific. Don't make excuses. And then... Accept the consequences. Accept the consequences. When you sin against someone else, you hurt them. You betray them. You let them down. There will be consequences. You say, but they're supposed to forgive me. I can forgive you, but that doesn't mean that I have to, that I'm going to easily forget that. That doesn't mean that I'm going to automatically trust you if you've betrayed me. Yes, I forgive you, but it's going to take me time to warm up to you if we do it all. There are consequences to our behaviors. If you lie to your friend and your friend is not going to show trust to you, that's a consequence. You know, if you're 17 years old and you get caught drinking and you apologize to your parents and they say, we forgive you, but you can't go, that you're going to be grounded for a month, that's a consequence. Accept the consequence. Apologize. Apologies and forgiveness do not erase consequences. The Bible says we reap what we sow. And sometimes you can be forgiven and still have to face the consequences of your behavior. So be specific. Don't make excuses. Accept consequences. And then change the behavior. The first message of Jesus' gospel is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent means turn around. It means change the way you were going. It means don't keep doing the same thing, the same thing, and then apologizing every time you do it. Change your behavior. True repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry. It's turning around. 
if you're sorry for what you did, then you won't keep doing it. But if you're not sorry for it, you keep doing it. So true apologies mean I'm going to change my behavior and then ask for forgiveness. Be specific. Don't make excuses. Accept the consequences. Change your behavior. And then don't just say I'm sorry. The hardest thing to do, I believe, is to humble yourself to the point where you say, please, please forgive me. And then accept whatever their answer is, even if it means saying, even if you hear the words, I'm sorry, but I can't forgive you for that. You've done your part. If you've truly owned it and truly done and changed it, you've done, then the ball's in their court. There's no, nothing that says that they have to forgive you. I mean, obviously, we're told to forgive those who hurt us, but, but there might be, forgiveness is a process. Forgiveness just doesn't happen with the snap of a finger. So what I want us to do is practice saying these words. I hurt you. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Can you please forgive me? Can we say that together? I hurt you. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Can you please forgive me? Can we say that again? I hurt you. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Can you please forgive me? You can't imagine how therapeutic those words are. How healing that is to a broken relationship. When you truly own that, truly mean that, life is going to have conflict. Friction happens, and it's not a bad thing. We hurt people intentionally and sometimes unintentionally. Every time we can come up with our rationalizations and our excuses. But until you humble yourself, until you're willing to say the relationship is more important than being right, until you can go to that person and own what you've done and truly, truly, truly repent, we're going to live in these broken lives and broken relationships. What if you've been hurt? I'm going to flip it just for a second. What if you've been hurt, but that person truly doesn't understand that they've hurt you? Okay? Can I, can I just give you one other thing that I just thought would be a freebie to throw into this message? Sometimes we're hurting and the person that needs to come to us doesn't know that they hurt us. And they don't know how deeply it hurt us. And so I think for those of us who are in those broken relationships, we need, to, we need to communicate the depth of the hurt in a way that's going to be safe. And I've, I've heard this before, and I, I tell people this all the time. Use the XYZ formula for going to that person to explain your feelings. And it's simply this. In situation X, when you did Y, it made me feel Z. You get that? You know, when we were, you know, doing whatever the other day and you said such and such, it made me feel afraid. It made me feel hurt. 
It made me feel scared. And name that feeling specific to the feeling. It made me uh, feel um, whatever that may be. So, so you say in, situation, in this situation, you do it at work. Try this at work whenever you have a conflict with somebody. You know, when we were in that meeting and you cut me off, it made me feel like I wasn't important. And then the best thing to do is follow that up with, I need you to, you know, let me speak and then you speak. Or I need you to not cut me off anymore. And if somebody comes to you with that kind of language, then what you need not do is make excuses and turn it around on them. That's when you have the responsibility of saying, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That must have hurt. I, I, I understand what that did. Will you please forgive me? I was wrong. So, you know what I mean? And when somebody comes to that with you, you'd be amazed at how many problems can get fixed. And, and if you're going to get whole as a human being, uh, you know, this is, this is a part of the 12-step program, is, you know, steps eight and nine. Step eight, make a list of all the persons we had harmed and become... and and became willing to make amends to them all. Make a list of all the persons we've harmed and become willing to make amends to them all. And then step nine is make direct amends, direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or other people. Part of, part of a complete recovery is to do whatever you can to make it right again. And that's what Jesus said. Before you come to get right with God, before you come and say, Oh God, please, I want to be right with you. Jesus says, You know what? Get right with them, and then you can come and get right with me. I mean, is that a condition to your forgiveness before God? Is that adding works to salvation? I don't, I, you know, I'm not going to go that road, but I am going to say that it's a lot easier to get right with God whenever you can take what you're wanting from God and He's always trying to make it at this level. As it is in heaven, he said, so shall it be on earth. If you want this, then let's make it like this. Let's get it at this level too. The Bible says in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Notice the phrase there, as far as it depends on you. You have a responsibility to make peace. Make peace with everyone. Would you bow your heads with me, please? God, I pray that right now, the mills here in Oakmont, anyone that might be listening on a podcast, that, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts that you would do a work today by your spirit. Here we are in your presence and we hear what you are trying to tell us and we understand how important this is. Right now, I, I just want to pray for the person that's sitting here and saying, you know, that's me. I, I, I have some apologizing to do. I know that I need to make things right. I can't continue to live with this broken relationship and I'm needing God to help me do that. I, I want to do it with integrity. I want to do my part and believe that God can take something that has been broken and, and, and bring healing and wholeness to it again. 
And I, I pray for the person right now that's saying, that's me, that's me, that's me. And I just wonder if you're here this morning, if you're within the sound of my voice, if, that, if that's you, would you just raise your hand up wherever you are and put it back down? Amen. Amen. Go ahead. Say, yeah, I, I need to do something. I need to make some apologies. I need to get right with God. I need to get right with this person. I understand it's complicated. I know there are a lot of ifs, ands, and buts, and a lot of stuff, but I pray for humility, God. I pray for these who've raised their hands, that they would honor God's word. I pray that they would love the relationship more and value the relationship more than value just being right. I pray that, I pray that even now you would, you would say, it's time to make a phone call and begin to restore that broken relationship. Set an appointment with somebody to meet with them. Pray for healing, for restoration. God, I pray for, for forgiveness. I pray for relationships to be healed stronger than before. God, I also want to pray for those that are here today and they say, but my, I need to get right with God. I'm feeling that I'm just separated from God right now. I'm too far from God and I need to... I need to come to God and say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done to break this relationship. You have a hard time coming and worshiping because the words that you're trying to sing just are, 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 are feeling so vain. They're feeling so powerless. And you want to get right with God. And if that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand and say, God, that's me. That's me. I need to come back to you, God. I want to be right with God. God, I pray for everyone. Your desire is that we would be right with you and we'd be right with others. So God, help us to be peacemakers. Help us to be humble and to do whatever it is within the power that we have to make things right. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.